Hey everyone, listen, we have a very exciting episode in store for you. But before that, I do just want to let you know that I know this year has been crazy and we are all adjusting to our new normal during these uncertain and unprecedented times. Yes, I am here to tell you that again. But what I'm also here to tell you is that networking and job hunting looks hella different. Thankfully, your girl here is a former HR manager and recruiter, and I also used to work in social media (laughs) and training, and I've had a thousand lives. So I've decided to merge all of that together and create a five-module course called Our New Normal, How to Job Hunt and Network in 2020. So if you want to head over to jasminereadclark.com, you will find my new course there, as well as some other services that I have. And right now it is on sale. And if you follow me on Instagram, you're going to get a special coupon code where you get 50% off. Yes, 50%. I'm in a really generous mood today. Could be the champagne. All right. Enough of that. Let's get into today's episode. You're listening to Office Politics, brought to you by the Revolt Career Network, formerly known as BYOB Revolt. Bree, thank you so much for being here today. I am really excited to have you on. Jess, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be speaking with you this morning. We've known each other, what, three, four years? But I think we met each other at really pivotal points in our career. And I know you've been a huge source of strength for me and seen me cry a lot and get upset. But just to kind of give viewers and audience listeners a little bit of background, um, how do we know each other and what have the last couple of years looked like for you? That's a good question. Um, how do we know each other? Well, first of all, Jasmine stole my job. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we know each other. Wait, I feel like we got to add, let's add some um, flavor to that because it wasn't. Yeah, no, it, it wasn't. She didn't steal my job. So this is what happened. <laughs> so I was working at Which, a, P.S., you want to talk about office politics. Listen, this is office politics. Listen, this is the, it was a rude awakening for me. I had never had that experience before. Um, so yeah. I'm glad that I had it with you because I don't think <laughs> that I would have survived as long as I did. <laughs> uh, so I met Jazz. Um, I was, we were working for this small tech company. It was a startup company at the time before it had grown to be this big thing. I was an interim office manager and... I was hired through a temp agency and they wasn't trying to hire me full time, but they wanted all my, all my efforts. And so uh, I remember one day I saw a young lady walk in the office to get, to be interviewed. And I'm like, oh, she seems cool. You know, they were asking me what I thought about her. And I'm like, I like her. I like her energy. Um, The next thing I know, I was answering to her and I'm like, okay, (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, that's cool. You know, I was a um, I was an interim office manager, um, and then Jazz kind of t- honestly she took me under her wing and taught me yeah. how to be a professional. And just I don't know, I learned so much. I learned so 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 much from you, Jazz. Well, and to kind of like dive deeper into that because. I remember asking in my interview or like when they offered me the job, like, hey, like it seems like she's the office manager. I remember asking the recruiter, is there like tea? Like, what am I walking into? And she was like, oh, no, you don't need to worry about that. Which, to be fair, that recruiter was an SF. Like maybe she really didn't understand the nuance. But yeah, it was a role you had been doing and that you are well equipped to do. And are you comfortable sharing about how somebody in leadership wanted a different uh, girl. kind of so yeah. you want to talk about office politics Listen, yes we're gonna get into it I for me my personality like I am the same I'm, I'm cool I'm yeah. chill I'm laid back I'm not the bubbly all in your face how was your weekend because I don't care actually we yes conversations, <laughs> but I, I don't care to know yep. about your dog named pepper and <laughs> <laughs> I just don't care is that your dog's name? Because I forgot. No. <laughs> Winslow, but he's salt and pepper colored. Right. So like, right. I get it. <laughs> the, the, just young black women working in corporate America. Like I never mm-hmm. really had anybody teach me the roadmap of, hey, this is what you do. And as far as playing the game, I was told that before. But for me that I was like, no, I'm going to be myself. So I didn't conform, quote unquote, to the bubbly. Oh, my gosh. How are you? How was your weekend? That is not me because I don't care. But hey, can we do X, Y, and Z? You know what I'm saying? Like that's right. just literally how I am. And I learned, you know, Jazz taught me. You taught me so much, but I learned that to you have to learn how to kind of play the game, even if you don't mm-hmm. really care. And I was still so young and immature in my um, corporate America career at that time that I did. I just genuinely, genuinely didn't know better. And and kind of like fill in the blank a little bit. In retrospect, what seemed to have happened was you weren't playing the role of a friendly black girl Mm -hmm. and that person in leadership, that's what he wanted. Mm -hmm. And so I came in and I'm like, hi. And he was like, oh, bingo. Like, (laughs) (laughs) and lo and behold, then I'm like, we need to have people of color ERG. And I think he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't know that you care about yeah yeah so that was definitely when I kind of see it all unfold it was a um you know I'm reading the book hood feminism and I'm literally on the chapter about like colorism and like your proximity to whiteness and like if you're able to code switch and like how like Europeanize can you how much can you assimilate basically Mm. and I think that was really the stark difference between who we both were in 2017 was he, he saw that, Oh, she can play this role. Let me hire her. And I think that played a huge theme in it. Would you agree now that like we were, we're both older and can look back at it now? Absolutely. And for me, um, we used to joke about me being like the angel mama of the office, you know, like what you need? I'm going to, Order your snacks and all of this stuff. But Jazz kind of came in and was like, okay, kind of whipped everything in order. But people took to to you well, like the the people that didn't look like us. And then for me, so I think for them, they were also confused. Like, well, why does 
she blends so well with us, but then she still has this connection with homegirl Bree. Over yeah. Here, so how does that work? And I was looking like, like I'm not about to be fake. That's just who Jazz no. is. Like, yeah. Jazz, yeah. That's just who she is. I yeah. was born, I was raised in the inner city in Kansas yeah. City, Missouri. So I didn't have a bunch of, my friendships didn't look like a rainbow. Right, right. You know yeah. A hundred percent. Nice and kind. Like I have, you know, my family is diverse, but yeah, we are just people. So I didn't know that I had to be a way for people to be accepted. So one of the, I still remember, like I, I, I will still cry sometimes when I think about this, but I got feedback and he was like, I need, he's like, y'all, he straight up said, I need to see you talking. I noticed, you know, you only have lunch with Brie and st- uh, he named other black girls in the office. And he's like, I would love to see you talking to so-and-so and so-and-so. And he named white girls in the office. And I'm like, oh, well, am I not doing my job? No, you're doing a great job. Okay. Well, am I kind to everyone? Yes, you're so warm. Okay. Um, is my work, like, am I, do you feel like I'm like kikiing too much? No, no, no. I just... I just think it would be best for you if you just were seen with all different kinds of people in the office. And do you remember I came and I got you and I took you upstairs because there was like this vacant office and that's like where we would go, well, where I would go cry. And I was just like, fuck, like this man in so many words said, I need to see you hanging around more white people in the office because that's how you're going to excel here. Yes. That to me, that was such a shocker. And I think that that is still left a bad taste in my mouth, which in all honesty, like I, I'm happy that we're working in quarantine right now because I haven't had to deal with office politics to that magnitude um, since I left there, but I don't know Mm -hmm. what it's like because I just started another with another large company. So I don't know what it's going to be like going into that, but that has that will forever be stained in my memory. The biggest thing you have truly taught me, yes, we're going to get into the faith and the journey, but truly like say what you always said about this is your training ground. Please say it. Oh, Jess. Um, I'm trying not to draw a blank. So this is like the job that we had. It really was training ground. It was like a blank canvas. You had the yeah. ideas, the things that you wanted to do. Like, don't let them define your worth. This is your yeah. training ground. You figure it out, trial and error. You have mm-hmm. plenty of opportunity to make it be, you know, what you want. And so I don't know if that's exactly verbatim what I said to you all the time, but oh, you yeah. had to often have those those reminders. Like, this is just a training ground. This is not your end all be all. This is not yes. what you're going to be. In 30 years, okay? So mm-hmm. just take it for what it is, learn, figure it out, and let's go. Oh, yeah. And then especially the trial and error, you're like, hey, like, if you want to try programs, try it out here. That way yeah. you can mess up here, grow here, and then wherever you're truly meant to land, you are going to be so bomb at it because mm-hmm. you you grew here. And I just think of it like on my hard days, Brian, like training day, training day. It's it like... And I think that also shows no matter where you are in the bureaucracy of the workplace, because technically you were under me, quote unquote, but you were teaching me way more about leadership and management and perseverance that had nothing to do with your title. Girl, likewise, then that's why we were we have been able to maintain our friendship because now I don't refer to you as my boss, you know, like. <laughs> We, we've been able to maintain our friendship for so long because, Jazz, you are the first manager that actually believed in me. And it used to blow my mind. Like, this girl is like a year older than me. You know what I'm saying? But like, <laughs> you literally 
spoke into me and made me be confident and made me believe like, okay, well, you're the first person to help me think like, well, what's next? Like, okay, you're here. What do you want to do here? Like, yes, this Mm -hmm. is your role, but you can do X, Y, and Z. I want to see you take initiative in doing this. And before it was just kind of like, I got a job. I'm getting a check. I'm making good money. It is what it is. You know, like I just really, I don't know. Like, and I guess I'll get into it a little bit later, but the journey of everything, I feel like I'm in Dallas, this works, whatever. But you really made me a lot of times, like just from sitting back, watching you, watching how you handled them, like them (laughs) watching how you handle them just the office space and the politics of it all it taught me so much and it's helped me in every in the different jobs that I've had the different programs that I've been a part of like it's it's stained in my memory just hey remember this remember how jazz handled this like I've always thought about that so yes it's it's made a difference in my my whole life so I thank you so much Jazz. I I love you like me you've kind of like dabbled in a few different things but I think you are like the perfect like example of an onion. Like you peel back layers and you're like, oh shit, I didn't know she knew how to do like this morning. I'm learning you know how to draw. I'm looking in the background, like you have these beautiful portraits. I think they're from Target. You drew them. I drew them. Sorry. Learning more. So you're really multifaceted. Um, so with that said, can you kind of give our listeners just a touch of your story, especially because um perseverance and overcoming obstacles has been a huge theme in your life girl has it um and it's funny excuse me that you say i'm an onion because i've heard that term so so much more a lot lately yeah there's so many layers to me and um i don't know i'm learning just as you grow you bloom into your flower Mm -hmm. you gotta peel those layers back so i just love that analogy when it comes to me um but background so um i always knew simultaneously that my gift was my voice but I didn't know how to foster it like I didn't know I was like okay I loved music when I was little I used to take those cassette tapes and stick the little paper in the bottom of it and record stuff on the radio because I wanted to be a radio personality I'm like oh my voice is my you know my voice is my gift and I didn't know I didn't understand it to the depth at that time but I knew that that was something special I loved music, so I used to record those songs, the songs that I liked. I had my own radio show when I was a kid, right? I love that. So <laughs> got to college and, well, actually in, in high school, I went to a preparatory school, so they made us prepare to go to college, but I didn't really believe that I was going to go to college. If I'm honest, it was just like, yeah. yeah, that's what some people do. I just didn't think that that was my future, but they made us apply for um, school and I ended up getting accepted to over 15 colleges Wow. Ended up going to this school because they had, um, I went to Northwest Missouri State University, not Northwestern, Northwest <laughs> State University. It's about an hour and a half north of Kansas City. Um, and they had a nice radio program. And I was like, oh, cool. You know, it'll allow me, it'll, it will give me a chance to be hands on. So my freshman year of college, I was like a radio personality and I was studying PR because I knew that the degree with PR, you, there was, there's so many avenues that you can get into in PR. And in my mind, I was going to be a publicist for an artist or a, um, for just working in, you know, with a music director or just something. I love the music and ended up getting an internship at Carter Broadcast Group, which is like one of the largest, it's the longest black owned radio station. It might be the only one. I need to check my, my stats um, in the States now. Um, Carter Broadcast Group. I was not on air, but that was like, like in Kansas City, there's not much going on. So people see you 
see you with the radio and then they think like, oh, this is some status and they see me at the concerts and with the celebrities and all this. And yeah, it looked nice. You know what I'm saying? But I genuinely wasn't, I wasn't happy. I wasn't satisfied. I literally cried like probably almost every day. Just people think that like this life that you portray on the internet is so, oh my God, I wish I could be with you. And I'm having times where people would send me their mixtapes and like, can you? No, I I can't. I'm I'm not even on the radio. Yeah, I'm cool with the DJs, but I, I can't get your song played on the radio or, you know, it was just, it was overwhelming to me. And I'm like, I don't want to live this fake life. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to live this life. Mm-hmm. Ended up connecting with some other people. You know, I was a nighttime host on another gospel radio station. It was new and up and coming at the time. I'm not sure what they're doing now, but I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe I will stay. So I started to get like confused a little bit. Like, well, maybe I do love radio. No, I'm going to move to Houston. <laughs> that was my plan. And when I say like, this is my plan and it's, God has a plan and then you have your own plan. Houston yes, was my plan. Okay. Mm-hmm. So connected with my people at, at Carter um, and they referred me to CBS radio down in Houston. I actually ended up getting a job there. They were hiring me for um, not what you think, like radio sales and promotion or something like that and I'm like this is too big of a city for me to move here on a maybe I know that those are glamorous words but I knew someone who was doing that and it was homeless sleeping in his car I'm like I'm not about to struggle to I'm not doing that yeah so I had already knew what what the real um I knew the reality of that so I'm like that's too big of a risk and I wanted it so bad. I wanted to move to Houston so bad by any means necessary I had gone through a season of depression I was like, like dealing with postgrad depression and trying to figure it out. I'm seeing my friends go and get their jobs and take trips and be able to do things that I genuinely could not. But yeah, you see me with with Kevin Gates and with Big Sean and whoever else is in in the town at the time. You know what I'm saying? But like during my during my postgrad depression is really honestly, who else gonna help you? I turned to God. Like, okay, I literally cannot do this by myself, and I I do believe that God was giving me. Um, he was testing me. Because I grew up mm. in, like, I grew up going to church, but there is a difference between religion and relationship. I'm sorry if I'm all over the place, but Mm-mm. there's a difference between religion and relationship. And during my post-grad depression, it was teaching me, like, hey, all those those religious practices that you taught, that's one thing. But, like, I need you to, to hear me. Because I would go to church and I was going through a lot of different things um, during that time. And literally, I felt a weight lift off of my heart. And I'm mm. like, okay, what do you, like can I move? But I know I'm not living in Oklahoma. So what do I do, God? Like, and so I just was praying about it and Dallas kept coming to my heart, but I'm like, no, no, not Dallas. Like, what's, what's, no. I literally never wanted to live. What's your second place. round pick, God? No, yeah, I'm like, no, not Dallas. I don't, I, I never even looked at the job market, never wanted to live in, in Dallas and it would not go away. So I have a, uh, she was my mentor when I was in seventh grade and we just stayed in touch. You know how people will say, like, if you ever need anything, hit me up. Yep. Listen. So I'm like, okay, I hit her up like, Hey, I've been thinking about moving to Dallas, but I don't, I've never been, well, I hadn't been since I was a child. So I'm like, I want to just kind of come and see. She's like, you can stay with me. I don't got much, you know, but I ain't got much space, but if you want to, it's open. I came down, I visited for a week and I'm like, I like it here. Cool. Whatever. (laughs) Anything is better than just staying at home. So right. I I come down, I I toured the city for about a week or so. And I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to do it. I really don't have anything else to lose. So I go home and I start doing my research. I'm looking at companies. I'm looking at PR. Because by this time, I'm like, I'm done with radio. 
I'm never going to be back in that headspace again anymore. Mm. So I'm like, I don't want to do it anymore. When I come to Dallas, I'm going to pursue my degree, which is in public relations that I studied and worked hard and graduated with honors with. I'm like, you know what? We're going to see what that's about. So I researched this black owned firm and everything that I wanted. I'm like, okay, boom, that was on my, my, my vision board. It wasn't written down at the time, but so I ended up taking a leap of faith. I literally jumped and moved here September, 2016. Yeah. September, 2016. I didn't have a job. I didn't have, I probably had about $700 And I didn't have nothing, girl. Packed up my clothes, told my parents, I'm out. We'll figure it out. Eight weeks in sleeping on the floor. But I didn't I I was going through it, okay? And the job that you and I met at Jazz, that was even an accident. The fact that I got that job, it was a mix up with the recruiters that I was working with. Yeah. They mixed up my information. I was gonna interview to be a recruiter and they sent me to this little hole in the wall. And for whatever reason, when I go to this interview, I'm like, what's going on? And they call me like, oh, we thought you were X, Y, and Z, but still just try it out. And I'm like, what the heck? But I'm like, what are the, what are the odds of that? Whatever. And I'm just there. Like, I walk into this place and I'm like, what is this? Is dogs running around and all kind of stuff? I'm like, I don't even like dogs. Like, what are we doing here? So I love dogs, by the way. Um, um, you were talking about essentially things can look really glamorous on the outside, but as I say, not all that glitters is gold. Mm -hmm. What was that like to almost have a disillusionment with an industry that you had put on a pedestal for so long? Man, when you're actually on the other side of things, it's a hot mess sometimes. (laughs) I'm like, wow, you think that these people, because you see me posted up, do you know the chaos that it took to even get to this picture? Do you know that I almost didn't even get this concert ticket because of so-and-so's favoritism? You know, uh-huh. like, like, you know, and so people think that like, oh, you're just living this life. And people be like, I want to be like you. And it was overwhelming. I'm like, because I am a straight shooter. I will keep it real. I don't I will tell you the truth. I don't have nothing to hide. OK. Yeah. And so when people will come up to me and think that I'm living this lifestyle that I'm not, I'm like. I can't, I'm not fake. And some people are completely content with perception being reality for them. I'm not that person. So it's, it was hard. It was overwhelming. And I was depressed. Like they saw that, like social media is literally a highlight reel. Yes. You see me showing up here and doing this and getting these exclusives, but I literally cry every night. I'm (sighs) so depressed. And people had no idea because it didn't look like it on social media. Do you wish so many things I want to say. Do you wish people would be more vulnerable on social media? I do. I wish that people would be more um, honest. Yeah. I, yeah, honest. Um, I mean, it's a difference between honesty and transparency. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I, I'm learning, you know, transparency. I'm a transparent person, but I realize that everybody is not. And sometimes people want to keep things to themselves and like, that's completely fine. Um, but I definitely do because then it's, I think about generations behind us. Yeah. Um, and like when you think of the suicide rate and you think about other people who are going through things about, because they're stressed out about a life that they want, that they think you have, and you don't even live that life. Yes. Yes. And going back to you being so honest and so transparent, it's such a double-edged sword. I think about code switching a lot, and I've written about it. You let me interview you for a piece with the financial diet, and it's this double-edged sword of, okay, 
let me let me play this game so I can get this bread so I can move up. But then on the other side of it, you're like, damn, is this even really propelling my community if we're just kind of reinforcing the narrative that you have to assimilate in order to be um, accepted to find success? So I have a lot of nuanced um, a lot of nuanced thoughts around the situation. But as somebody who is less likely to turn it on, turn it off, you don't really wear a mask ever. Is that something you, you've you come to resent about yourself or that you love about yourself despite how it can work against you in, in the office? Mm. <clears throat> I think that that's a good question. Um, in ways, I, if I think about some of my past experiences, past jobs, sometimes I wish that I would have been like, okay, ugh, the me three years ago will hate myself for saying this, but like, <laughs> um, thinking like, okay, I probably could have done things a little different and yeah. things would have turned out different for me. And I'll use that for the job. So just the example, the job that I had. So after I ended up leaving the job that you and I had together, I got the job that I, that I was, that was my dream. You know, everything that I had written down, I God literally gave it to me just for me to get into it and see like, Oh, wow. Something I'm still not fulfilled, and I, that's purpose. But we can talk about that, you know, in a second. But yeah. I realized, like, wow, this is not my purpose. But in that time that I was there, I was exposed to so much. To I'm talking about just so many things that seats at tables that I never thought that I would be able to have a seat at, and inputs mm-hmm. that I never thought I was. I had companies, I had um, clients, like big projects for the city of Dallas, and yeah. just landscape, just so much, so much. Um, so many opportunities happening around the city and I wish that I would have taken advantage and not, I don't want to say code switch, but mm-hmm. I definitely could have, I don't want to say bend. I still don't want to say that. <laughs> I wish I would have bend it a little more, but just been more open to, okay, well, this is what I need to do. Right. Okay. Let's get this, you know, because a lot of times, like it is a blessing to have a seat at a certain table. Sometimes you don't know how much change that you can bring to that. And mm-hmm. you don't have to be like, well, accept me or blah, blah, blah. But that was my, <laughs> that was my younger, you know, younger Brie would have been yeah. like, listen, if you don't like me, then keep it moving. Right. Where, right. Whereas now that I think about the change that probably that, you know, had I kept going or had I just been like, you know, okay, fine. Just be quiet. Sometimes like you don't have to always give you, mm. you can just be quiet. And, yep. and it's not about necessarily code switching. So do like, I'm not going to be like, Oh my God, girl, how was your weekend? Cause I don't care. <laughs> I still don't, <laughs> but I think that I could have been a little bit more open. I'll say that just a little bit more yeah. open to totally playing the game, quote unquote. Um, right. If you were to give advice, let's say there is, you know, you look back, there's a 25 year old, she's in the room with us. She is a, a version of your younger self. Would that be the the main piece of advice you would give her? Just be yes. more open. And and two, oh my God, speaking of my 25-year-old self, <laughs> not that it was that long ago, long enough. So. <laughs> um, but just to be open to things not looking the way you think that they should look. Absolutely. I think that that has caused me so much stress. And I think that because of social media and because of what society says you're supposed to have at this age. and Because if it was up to me, I would be married right now with some kids yeah. and doing everything else. But thank God I'm not, you know. Right. Well at the time, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. um, 
I think that I, I definitely would, I would tell my 25 year old self or another person, just be open to the possibility and don't turn things away because it doesn't look exactly how you think it should look. A thousand percent. I couldn't agree more. And going back to the training ground that you, you always taught me, it all makes sense in the end. Like when I look back, I was meant to learn how to operate an office so that I could learn how to like do my own expenses now that I'm freelancing. And Mm -hmm. it's really interesting how everything comes back full circle. That is a full circle thing. Yes, ma'am. It's a scripture and we we can get into it, but it's, it's the scripture of literally like this journey, everything that I've learned and been through is Romans 828. God, you know, Mm -hmm. we use everything to work together for the glory of his good, you know, for a call according to his purpose. Like, I, I butchered that scripture, but you give it up. No, I do. And we, I actually, okay, you know what? I had a different question, but I want to kind of and go right here. Uh, I listened to a sermon and it said something to the effect of so often we want to separate church and work. And I'm so guilty of that. And I remember hearing in this sermon that um, not that God or not that everyone should feel called to, you know, work in a church or, you know, work for a religious affiliation. In fact, I know people who have, and sometimes that's where you see some of the the, the ugliest activity. But, <laughs> but they did say you are meant to bring glory to his name at work. And they gave a really great example. And one is using your gifts, using your purpose. Um, and I would love to know just what are some of your surrounding thoughts on that and what do you believe people should do if you do if you are of faith no matter what it may be no matter where it might look like no matter where you are in your faith um how do you think people are meant to show up at work so something that I learned um just in my faith when a lot of times when I had the jobs that didn't look like I thought they were gonna look or you know didn't really understand what purpose was we are working not for man, but for the glory of God. You know, he mm-hmm. has a purpose. He has literally created you specifically to be here for a time as this. If you woke up today, then that means God can still use you. And mm-hmm. for me, going back to when I realized like, hey, I got this PR job that I dreamed of. Like, like it was as high as I thought of myself and I'm still not fulfilled. It's because I was chasing after um, a career and yeah. not my purpose. Yes. And I, I never, until I met my big sis, uh, I didn't know that there was a difference between a calling and a career, a purpose mm-hmm. in your mm-hmm. career. I, I didn't know that. I thought that, you know, you grow up, you get this job. Okay. And that's your purpose. You live that purpose. No, yep, my purpose in the season that you and I were working together was for me to pour into you as much as allowing mm-hmm. you to pour into me. That was the purpose because that job was training ground to get me to the next season where I worked at this P- at this PR company and I'm learning how to, I'm literally planning events. I'm writing things. I'm brainstorming. I'm meeting with people, different clients and all those things. If I didn't have the experience where I was when we worked together, I wouldn't have made it in my my purpose, quote unquote, that I thought job, you know, the things that looked good on paper. I wouldn't have done it. I if I would have turned that when I walked into that raggedy hole in the wall. <laughs> a job who knew all the doors that that opened for me you know what i'm saying absolutely that that, and so before i was like i mean as i have grown my relationship with god because like i said before there is a difference between religion and relationship and as i've grown in my relationship with christ it's taught me that god 
uh, Romans 8.28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose, not our purpose. And every door that he opens up for you, like, yes, we have free will, but God will use you in whatever door you open in. Now, the consequences might be a little different, but God will still use you. I don't know if that answers your question or not. No, I think it absolutely answers my question. And I love what you said about there's a difference between a calling and a career. And here, I will air my dirty laundry. One of my worst, worst vices in faith is making other things my idol predominantly my career or primarily my career. And I think even my marriage, I think it's just very easy to put all of your focus on one person or one aspect of life. And I can tell you, cause you've seen it firsthand that leads you to a cliff that you want to jump off of when you make your career, your idol and grateful for the lessons it has taught me. But that is, Um, that's definitely something I could have heard a few years ago if I was even going to be open to hearing it. Um, And speaking of that cliff, you were talking about post-grad depression, which I've actually never heard it phrased that way. And I love that because I feel that in my bones because I remember seeing my friends getting promoted and I was still trying to figure out what field I wanted to be in. And I was battling, I mean, I still deal with depression and anxiety, but I think it was extraordinarily heightened um, in my early and mid twenties. What anyone who's going through that, especially in the black community, because there's just certain like vocabulary that is just being introduced into our worlds. How does somebody know, or how did you know you were going through post-grad depression? Um, Well, first of all, it was just a feeling of heaviness. Like, I've battled depression, honestly, all my life. And Mm -hmm. this time around, I knew that it was real because I couldn't connect with anybody. My best friends in the entire world who I've been through absolutely everything with, I literally couldn't even connect with them. Like, Like, I'm sinking in. I want them to save me, but they don't, then they can't save me because they don't know. And because too, like, because of some of the things that I've been through, I'm very reserved. And so I'm not at that time, like I wasn't very vocal, like, Hey, I'm sad. Or, Hey, I've been thinking about killing myself or, you know, all of these things. Like I didn't know how to identify. And I was, sometimes I would just Google, like, I feel like this, or why do (laughs) I feel so heavy? You know, like, or it's even the point that, like I said, I, I genuinely Thank God for for deliverance. But I was literally contemplating on the day that I was going to commit suicide. Like, and no, every I'm surrounded by all these people, and nobody even knew that that I was that far gone. And I'm just, I'm sad. I can't. I didn't want to ask for help. I didn't know how to ask for help. And in the black community, it's like when you talk. Like now, I feel like mental health is a is a buzzword. Yeah. Um. That people love to talk about, oh, mental health, yay, cheers, <laughs> let's talk about it. But like when you see somebody spiraling out of control or doing things that they wouldn't normally do, um, or not being responsive, or shutting you out, or just down, don't want to eat, you don't want to come around, you can't. If you, if I'm invited somewhere, then figuring out an excuse as to why I can't come, or somebody, and we don't have to. Let's not get too deep into it. But like <laughs> somebody like Kanye West, like as, as a black community, we love to talk about, hey mental health x y and z but then we see somebody who is freaking losing their mind for millions and millions of people to see and we picking at him and we laughing at him instead mm-hmm. of somebody who has the access to come and say hey brother let me help you 
you right. know, let's talk. Oh, yeah. Let's talk through this. You making yeah. a fool of yourself. You know what I'm saying? Right. So that <laughs> is triggering to me. Like I hate that because like I have experienced it, and I've been around. I have family that has experiences, and nobody talks about it. Mm-mm. It's like, oh, no. you you got a therapist? Oh, something you crazy? Something is wrong with you? Black people don't talk to people like that because we were yes. taught like. What goes on in this house stays in this house. So yes, yeah, that's already a thing. So it's like, well, I can't tell anybody all the, the things that I've been through before, and right. so you just bury them, and it makes you so heavy. What do you think? And there is no one right answer. It's a combination of countless things. But what is something you would love to see us get better at in the Black community as it relates to mental health and helping each other when we are spiraling? Mm-hmm. I wish that we, I mean, talk, let's talk about therapy because honestly, yeah. I didn't start therapy until this pandemic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I made the decision on my own, but I didn't know that when I was younger, that that was even an option for me when I was going through things. Like I had a traumatic childhood and, um, they put me in anger management and that just made me that just pissed me off even more. Okay. So now I feel like y'all looking at me like I'm this crazy girl who got an anger problem. Well, let me just be that, you know? So I think that's especially mm-hmm. starting in our youth, because that's where a lot of our trauma comes from. Like our, us being adults and going to therapy, what we talk about a lot, what happened when we was kids or mm-hmm. things we couldn't talk about. So I wish that we would start with our youth. First of all, um, talk, just give them the resources to know that it's okay to talk yeah. to somebody. I think it goes back to how we raise our kids. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like I have, I have a lot more empathy for like my parents and things because you can't fix, you can't give something you've never had. And if you don't know that you're broken, like how can I expect to raise a child that's not broken? So for me, it's like, well, let me go and talk about my hurts because I don't want to raise a generation of people yeah. who are going to be so jacked up that they got to go to therapy because they mama yeah. did X, Y, and Z. Yep. And so that's why I like, well, let me start with myself. But I wish that the black community would be open to like having these discussions and not just the buzzwords, but like where the resources at. Let's encourage our people to go back to, to, to go and be counselors. I have friends that are studying to be counselors to go and be a, a therapist and be, to, to be an ear. Let's have yeah. writing sessions. Let's, Instead of putting our kids in, in ISS, let's let's make them right. I used to get put in ISS all the you know what that is in school suspension. Yeah, I, I know what it is. Put out of class all the time and sitting in ISS. I could have been writing my feelings. Like now I write. Damn. You know what I'm but I didn't know that I could do that thing. I didn't know it was okay to feel. You know, we just talk. Yeah. It's, I don't know if it's just the being black. You know, we just yeah. we don't we don't feel comfortable to feel anything. Well, and I think, because I know we've talked about faith a lot of it, is I think there is a misconception that if you are seeking therapy, you're not seeking a relationship with God, which is not true. You know, I've been going to therapy on and off for 10 years. It's, it is okay. It does not mean we are defying a higher power if we are using resources that, that he has provided. Um, it's just... God speaks to us through other people. God is love. And I think he has spoken to me through my therapist. And you can even find a faith-based faith-based therapist if that is what you want to do. And um, so I think that's one thing that happens in our community. But yes, it is this deep, dark secret. And I think, 
you know, we talk about masculinity, but I think even black masculinity, it's like, okay, you know, I'm a provider and oh, if I'm there for my kids, I've done enough. But it's like, are you actually emotionally there? It's just, I feel like we have, there's just a... We're, we're playing catch up, basically. Mm-hmm, we are. And I, the fact that you say that, I literally, I had a conversation with my pops um, about a situation about a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And he, he, it came out of his mouth that basically, like, emotions are, are, it's a weak thing for a man. Like, he didn't say that verbatim, but that's basically right. what he said. Like, to have an emotion is weak. And I'm like, that is so sad to me that you be- you genuinely believe that. Because now you've raised daughters who, for me, it's taking me up into my I'm 28 years old now. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And I'm learning how to like, oh, it's okay to feel, oh, it's not normal to feel so heavy and to keep my emotions bottled in. You know what I'm saying? Or even like having conversations with, with guys like, oh, you feel, oh, you're connected. Like that's, it's okay. Like I think in a black community, especially our men, like we're taught that having emotions is weak, but honestly, like your anger is an emotion. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. like, your frustration, like your sadness, like, you don't, but we, they only, they're only taught like to connect with those angry ones. But why can't I see black boy joy? Why is that yeah. a weak thing? Because I'm happy and I'm excited. Exactly. It's not true. It breaks my heart. Um, It breaks my heart. And what you said, the resources, Um, the older I get, the more I really think access to mental health resources is a form of privilege. The reason I think I started my mental health journey so much earlier, and I've talked about this before on the show, is I grew up in a white community. So a lot of my white friends were going to like therapists and on medication. And so the I was exposed to like the words ADD and I'm going to therapy. And so it was so normalized by the time I was in middle school that I think I had uh, a different familiarity to it. And now it's interesting because I still have a lot of my black girlfriends are like, oh, I'm not crazy. And it's like, damn, we are still trying to like destigmatize like just that concept alone. Um, but it's also a form of privilege because you need insurance to get to it. You need money. You also need right now virtual therapy. You, you need to have access to a computer. It's just it is so completely despicable that having that health is a privilege the way it's it is and everybody doesn't have the same access to um certain insurance providers and certain things so i'm gonna just i'm gonna just share a piece so i decided to go to therapy this year um and it was like i i went through a tragedy back in, in december i lost my, my first love we were really good friends but he was killed by the police and that took me to a through a whirlwind of emotions that I had never ever felt before and Mm -hmm. I was depressed again but it wasn't it wasn't like before like oh trying to figure out my job and my career it was just like I feel broken by the systems and like when you see like it it got a little bit of national attention you know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying but to see other people seeing you it's like a target like hey let's look at this person like oh my god you he got killed and blah 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 so it was so overwhelming. It's like you try to be strong. And I was trying not to spiral out on social media, all of that. So I decided, let me just go to therapy and ended up my therapy. I mean, yeah, we talked about that, but it's so deep rooted in like other things that I didn't know. But I bring that up because my therapist, of course, is a black woman. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was I had met with I had conversed with a couple different therapists. But with this one in particular, 
she told me her rates, you know, I told her what my insurance was and everything was fine. So at the time I thought that they were, she, they, my insurance provider was like, had its program or something for due to COVID that they were waiving fees. But come to find out my company, my very large corporation opted Mm -hmm. out of that. And so it was like, what had to come out of your pocket? Now my deductible isn't $6,000 like some people's might be, you know what I'm saying? So I was grateful for that, but we're responsible for paying our deductible until the insurance covers it. Right. And mm-hmm. when she told me her price, I'm like, well, sis, I can't do this every week because I'm trying to buy a house, you know? Like, right, but she right. was like, well, what can you, what can you afford to pay? What do you, what would you feel comfortable with paying to see me weekly? And I told her, she was like, cool. She was like, I do this because not for the money, because I believe in our community and I believe in being a resource for other women, for other people, yes. you know? And that is a God thing too, because yes. he knew that I needed I needed therapy when I started and he still made a way for me. I who who would have thought that something like that would happen and she would make a deal, you know, with me to because I know that you need it and I'm I'm here to help you. Mm-hmm. This is my purpose. And and for those listening, it's called a sliding scale. If you it, not every therapist is going to have a sliding scale, but always ask because mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of therapists are willing to work with you. Um now we have been chatting super long, but one last question that I really want to ask you, and I really want to have you back on because there's so many things I feel like we didn't get a touch on. Um, and I know I've asked you this so many times. You often talk about God testing you. How can you um, really strengthen that relationship so that you can be in tune to that voice when he is trying to speak to you or know when he is testing you? It's a good question. It's just having a relationship with God. Um, you have to know his, to know his voice, you got to know his word. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, what, you know, and pe- mm-hmm. some people say, well, the Bible was written by whoever, <laughs> yeah. whatever. but that, that word is sharper than any two edged sword. Yeah. It discerns, it helps you discern. So for me, I didn't understand everything yeah, in, the, in the Bible, um, you know, but like reading scripture and how it applies, like Romans eight twenty eight is honestly like that shows me that everything works together for the good. And when I thought about that um, in lamest terms, like how every job, every door that was shut in my face, everything mm. still got me to where I'm supposed to be and literally starting to, to pray like, okay, God, like I need to hear your voice. Can you speak to me? God will speak to you. Absolutely. Yeah. Through other people, my therapist, he spoke to me through her, you know, he, he pardoned the sliding scale. I didn't know about that. I could have no. just said, forget it. I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. My, mm-hmm. my job working with you, like yeah. you taught me, you were the first person to teach me how to be a professional. That was God. For real. Yeah. That was God. You know, like he speaks to you through circumstances and he speaks to you through certain people, but you have to get it out of your mind that it's supposed to look like we think it's supposed Damn. to look like. Damn. Yeah. But I definitely want to have you back on. So we are going to hop into the industry rapid fire. Now, your industry is public relations, uh, but please feel open to, you know, speak about any industry that you'd like. And with that, what is the biggest misconception about your industry? Oh, that it is super glamorous. And you <laughs> get to go to all the parties and all the big meetings and <laughs> you get access to everything. Yes. Three passes. That's a misconception. Misconception. What is your least favorite part about the industry? Literally the most stressful thing I've ever done in my life. I'm <laughs> honest. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I feel for, for um, PR specialists because... You have to be always on alert. Um, it literally triggered anxiety. Like, I never knew that 
what anxiety attacks was until I was at work one day and I thought I was having a heart attack. And I'm like, I'm too young and too healthy to have a heart attack. <laughs> like, what's happening? I was having an anxiety attack. Because, like, you're always on alert. Like, oh, my God, who's unhappy? What did I do? Did I miss yeah. this deadline? It's like your mind is in a million different places. So That's God, good. That's a good one. What is your favorite part about your industry? Ooh, the opportunity to meet so many different people. Like I said, having those seats at certain tables, like, what? I was doing what? They were getting what? You know? That was, that. I love that because it taught me so much about a city, like, especially being new here. Yeah. Now I know spots and I know histories of certain things because I was able to be in those environments that taught me so much and connect with so many people. And I've made mm-hmm. some really great friends, just yeah. lifelong people in my life just exactly. because of my industry. I love that. What is the best thing about your industry or your profession? The best thing? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that you can make it, and I'm going to just speak for public relations, like you can make it what you want. So yes, that is my degree. That is my background, but that's not what I'm currently doing now in my quote unquote profession. But in my real life, all of the things that I've done um, just from working at those jobs taught me how to run an organization, how to plan for events how to prepare for certain things. And so it's taught me so many life skills that I'm super grateful for. Yes. And what is the hiccup or failure you would never change about your journey or that you are the most grateful for? Ooh, literally everything. Moving to Dallas, I I would never change that. Even though, like, I I don't regret moving here over Houston. I don't regret um, turning down that radio job. Because even though I struggled, oh, God, did I struggle, <laughs> he still used every piece of that journey to get me to where I am now. And even if it's not where I am doesn't look like it, you know, where I am internally, mm-hmm. that's mm. the biggest part of it. You know, mm. um, the lessons that I've learned, the humility that I have now, um, yeah. if it mm. wasn't for all of those things that I went through, I would have not been able to be who I am today. I love that. And finally, I know after this interview, everyone's going to want to follow you on social media. So where can people keep up with you? Sure. So I am at Brie Fergie. That's B-R-E-F-E-R-G-I-E. All platforms, social media, Instagram is, and Twitter. Nice. And then do you have any upcoming projects that people can look forward to? Yes. So I'm actually writing a book right now. I know I said, a, I said a lot of things. I got a lot more to say. Um, so <laughs> you I, need to start your own podcast free. <laughs> you know, I am. That's honestly something that's in the works and you're making me talk about it now in public. Uh, <laughs> I'm hoping I'm hoping the top of 2021. Um, yeah. I just I'm trying to get things in in order, you know, but that is my thing. Um, a podcast sometime next year and my book for sure though that is what I know that I have to get out so I am any uh sneak peeks on what it's about or are you keeping that close to the heart no so it's based it's called 828 It's based off of Romans 828 and it just basically is a journey I'm telling my story um just how like you know we have this perception of life of how things are supposed to be and how God used everything that you know I didn't that I never asked for yeah. To yeah. teach me, you know, to get me to where I'm supposed to be. So it's based off of that. Um, just from how I moved here, I had nothing, all the struggles, a little bit more detail, a little <laughs> bit more detail of the jobs and the relationships and all kind of things. So 
Well, Brie, I am so grateful for you. You've been a really, really instrumental part of my journey and just my life in general. So thank you for being here. And again, guys, please go follow Brie. Keep up with her. She's a phenomenal woman. And that is today's episode of Office Politics. Bye. Of course. As a career coach and writer, I get a lot of the same questions from my clients and my friends, which is, how did you go out on your own, become a full-time freelancer, and how can I do it too? And while I will be the first person to preach that no two journeys are the same, I do think there are some tried and true steps in order to ensure success as you go out and become your own boss. And everything I learned, I learned from the best. It's Jennifer Fitta. But I'm not alone. There's over 100,000 other people who trust her, as well as 30 institutions. I'm talking professors, y'all. Like, people with doctorates. So... You know that I'm in good company and in good hands. If you want to learn some tactics and strategies or you just want to understand how the hell business works, but you don't feel like getting an MBA, which, by the way, you don't need one of those to be successful, despite what some people in industries will tell you, then great. Head on over to BYOBrevolt.com. There, it's an educational platform. There's an online community. You can even pick up her book, with the same name, Be Your Own Boss. There's a shop. That's where I get my no five-year plan shirt that a lot of you guys love on Instagram. Either way, there's something for everyone. So take a little peek. And if you see something you like, I have a special offer code for y'all. 25% off site-wide. Just use the code OfficePolitics, one word. Again, whether it's a t-shirt, a book, something else, Just make sure to save yourself 25%, you use the code OfficePolitics. And hey, do me a favor, when you buy your book or your shirt or you join the online community, please, please, please give me a shout out on social media. I would love to start a conversation with you, see what you're learning, see what's working for you, and keep that dialogue going. All right, guys, back to the show. 